Good morning, Covenant. We are on a 16-week journey through the book of Romans, and today we arrive to the notorious chapter 13. Chapter 12, which we looked at last week, it, it marks quite a turning point in the book of Romans. In chapter 12, we make quite a turn to what is practical. From here on out for the rest of the book, the Apostle Paul is really going to be addressing very practical matters and it's, it's gonna be very much about how can I now, now that my bags are packed, now that I have all the foundations of faith, what, now that I know what the foundations of faith look like, how can I live faith out? Paul says, if you understand and believe this gospel, then you will live like this. By the grace of God, with the very life of God in you, friends, we are to live a particular way. And Paul starts talking about this, first of all, by, by addressing how we live in relationship with one another within the body of Christ, within the family of faith. So he begins with our relationship with our friends. He then moves to wider society. And then now in chapter 13, he is going to talk about a Christian's relationship to civil authority or to the state. Let's consider the, the context. Context matters always, always. The Apostle Paul writes in the first century, there is no democracy, no Republicans, no Democrats. There is no Fox News, no CNN, no MSNBC. There are no elected officials, there is no Supreme Court. It is a very different time, a very different place, a very different world. Paul writes to a persecuted minority. He's writing to house churches there in Rome, uh, so small gatherings of believers who are being persecuted by Rome, the oppressive rule of Rome, a rule that thought Nothing at all about wiping out dissidents, revolutionaries, and those who did not sacrifice to the Roman emperor. The increasingly secular West, we are just, I mean, just barely the tip of the iceberg, just now only beginning to experience the level of hostility that first century believers faced. The modern persecuted church experiences it every day. This is the type of state that Paul now tells Christians to submit to in order to live with a government that wants to kill you. Jesus led a movement that challenged the sovereign rights of Caesar. Paul himself will be killed because he will not submit to a law that he considers to be immoral. He will not worship Caesar. Paul's writing in Romans 13, it was not intended to be his theological dissertation on the nature of government. Rather, he offers counsels, counsel to, to real life people, to Christians living in Rome in the first century. It's quite likely that some of these Christians believed that their freedom in Christ meant that they did not need to any longer submit to civil authorities. They may have thought, now that I am a follower of Jesus, now that Jesus is Lord in my life, perhaps now I'll no, no longer do I need to pay taxes to 
to Caesar, to the government. Keeping the context in mind, keeping all of that in mind, let's now turn toward what Paul says to Roman Christians, which has significance for Christians of all ages. Romans 13, the first seven verses. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, busy with these very thing, with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, God of grace, what a privilege it is to be in fellowship with you. Lord, how I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, that it will all, all of it be acceptable in your sight. Lord, speak to us, enliven us, breathe peace into our hearts and hope into our souls, all for Christ we pray, amen. All right, friends, let's acknowledge right out of the gate, this is a very difficult passage. In all of my years of being a pastor, I have never had anyone ask for anything from Romans 13 to be read for their wedding. I've never had anybody want to hear from Romans 13 in memorial service. I've never been asked to read Romans 13 when people are needing some sort of words of assurance or comfort during a difficult time in life. This tends to be nobody's favorite. This scripture is especially challenging when you are deeply upset about the established government and civil authority. The reality is, whether it is now or in the past or around the bend in the future, there comes a time in the life of any follower of Jesus when someone in power seems to be an enemy the enemy of what we consider to be good. What then is the Christian's responsibility? I'm gonna invite us this morning to think biblically about government. What is the role of government? And what responsibilities does it have to its people? And then finally, what responsibilities do the people, do we, the people, have to their governments? Overall, first of all, Romans 13 gives a positive view of the role of government. Civil government is a part of God's purpose for the world. God has decreed that some sort of 
earthly oversight is necessary to bring society and to order and to promote God's concern, God's deep concern for justice and beauty and compassion and goodness and peace. Government has certain responsibilities. Civil rulers have a responsibility to do good. The state exists for the good. The government's job description includes preserving order, protecting citizens, and promoting righteousness. That is a government's task, its role as God's servant. Civil authorities are not free to do whatever they wish. All of a leader's authority comes ultimately from God which means that that leader's authority and that leader themselves, that they will be held in light of God's standards. Because of this, Richard Mao, Fuller Seminary's former president and someone who now holds the post professor of faith and public life, Mao writes, because we know all political rulers will someday be called into account before God, we must not give them, we must not give them more than their due in the present age. We see that civil authority has a limited sphere of authority. When asked the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Jesus replies, yes, yes to paying taxes, but no to paying worship. No to offering worship to Caesar. So no to unqualified obedience. Government has certain responsibilities. What then is our responsibility to government? First, we see that Christians should be good citizens. We should be good citizens. It's part of our witness. It's one of the ways that we serve God. Pastor Tim Keller notes the default position of the Christian to the state is to submit or to be subject to. We should cooperate with government when possible. Christians have an obligation to the state, the state being some sort of form of government uh, of a country. As long as human laws are in line with God's laws, then we should be good citizens by obeying government's laws, respecting authority, and supporting the taxes it charges. We should be willing to participate in civic life. Again, pay taxes, obey laws, vote in elections, and contribute in a whole host of ways to the well-being of society. This involves giving thanks for those who serve and for the structure that stands under and beneath them. We have covenant members who have served and are serving now as civil authorities. We give thanks for them. Governing is very hard work. This also compels us to pray for our government and for those who lead us locally and nationally. Not only through clenched teeth, but rather we wholeheartedly carry them to Jesus so that they might receive wisdom, pursue justice, have a deep and abiding concern for all people, be healed and changed. Our responsibility to government also includes the right to disagree, protest, and disobey. I'm gonna come back to that in a moment. 
More from Dr. Mao. Mao says, we can only honor political authority by constantly calling it to perform the kind of ministry that God requires of all who administer human affairs. Let me read that again. We can only honor political authority by constantly calling it to perform the kind of ministry that God requires of all who administer human affairs. So we cooperate with the government when possible and we challenge civil authority when necessary. It's, it's important, friends, to think biblically about the role of government and our role as Christians with this, in particular, with this complicated scripture because this complicated scripture continues to get narrowly interpreted in a way that harms people. I'd like for us to consider for a few moments something called proof texting. Proof texting is the great danger of, of pulling a verse out of the Bible and saying this is what it means. It's honing in on just one verse or a couple of verses to the detriment of others. It's leaning into certain texts or truths to the exclusion of others. The biggest problem is the taking of verses out of their proper context. It is what our Attorney General Jeff Sessions did when he cited Romans 13 last month when arguing for the administration's immoral policy on separating migrant children from their families. Said Sessions, I would cite you to the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order. Romans 13, which pro-slavery advocates read as favoring the oppressor over the oppressed became the proof text against abolitionists. Romans 13 was used to urge Germans to support Hitler. The powerful writings of anti-Nazi Protestant theologians Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer are testaments to how much Protestants in Germany were battling with this particular scripture. Bart and Bonhoeffer concluded that Romans 13 does not call people to blindly obey the state. Quite the contrary, according to Bart and Bonhoeffer, Romans 13 requires people to rise up against the state when the state is the source of injustice. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail has powerful words. One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. One has a moral responsibility to obey just laws and a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. This interpretation of Romans 13 caused Bonhoeffer to join the resistance to Hitler, a decision that would cost him his life. The larger context in scripture matters. We are to read the Bible for its narrative sweep and to look for dominant threads and dominant themes. Does scripture generally favor the oppressor or the oppressed, for example? There's a larger obligation which underlies all that a Christian is to do. It is to act in love toward fellow human beings. Just before these 
verses in Romans 13, Paul writes, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Just after these verses, Paul writes, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor sandwiched in between all of, of these great commands about loving others. So we cooperate with our leaders whenever possible, but what, we, but what do we do when it's not possible? When the government fails to fulfill its God-given mandate. There are times when we need to challenge our government and to hold them accountable for their responsibilities. There are many ways to do so. A couple of ideas. First, we can respectfully disagree publicly. Thankfully, thankfully, our political system provides for us all sorts of ways to express our political opinions. We are free to express ourselves by ballot, by media, by petition. Secondly, we can peacefully protest in order to call for reform. If a government's laws are in some sort of direct violation with God's laws, a Christian can work to bring reform. Racial segregation in our country didn't come to an end until African Americans refused to accept it and took to the streets in protest. Many who led were inspired by biblical principles of justice and equality. Third, we can disobey. The position that scripture upholds is one of biblical submission with a Christian being allowed to act in civil disobedience if human laws are not in accordance with God's laws. If a Christian disobeys a human law, they should accept the, that government's punishment for their actions, that's a part of our responsibility too, to the state. Throughout scripture, we see examples of people who refuse to cooperate with the authorities. To name a few, for example, in Exodus, the Egyptian pharaoh gave the clear command to two Hebrew midwives to kill all male Jewish babies, yet the midwives disobeyed and let the children live because they feared God. Rahab directly disobeyed a command from the king of Jericho to produce the Israelite spies when they had entered into the city to gain intelligence for battle, and instead she lowered a rope and helped them to escape from the city. We learn very briefly of a man named Obadiah in 2 Kings who feared the Lord greatly. When Queen Jezebel was killing God's prophets, Obadiah took 100 of them and hid them so they could live. In Daniel, we hear a couple of, of different times when, when Christians disobeyed, um, when God followers, God fearers followed uh, disobeyed laws because of, of their belief that they were immoral to God's law. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down to a golden idol in disobedience to King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. We also see Daniel later defying King Darius's command to not pray to anyone other than the king. These guys having faith in the furnace in the most challenging of times. Friends, Romans 13 does not call upon people to blindly obey the state. But that is how it is sometimes misused. In order to discourage political activism, 
and force unqualified compliance. Verse five is critical. A Christian submits to civil authority according to conscience. According to conscience. This means a Christian is to evaluate the state. Christians obey the authorities not only because of what will happen to them if they don't obey, but they obey because it is right. We give positive and enthusiastic support to promoting the right things the state does. Our conscience, now that it's brought in, means that there is a limit. What is against conscience cannot be done. An important thing to name here about conscience is that God alone is the Lord of the conscience, which means that our conscience is captive to the word of God and only the Lord is God of it. Which is saying a different thing than letting your conscience be your guide. Rather, this is letting God's word guide your conscience. You see the difference? Friends, we are set free to be Christ, very kingdom in the world. And this is very, it's a very, this is very difficult. We live in very difficult times. I, I was sharing with Thomas right, right before service. I, this has been a very difficult passage for me to sit with. It holds up a mirror for me of a lot of shortcomings for me. Because I am seeing more and more my tendency, maybe this is true for some of you, because of what is happening currently in the world around us, I am feeling myself pulling back and not engaging as well in some of the conversations in, within society because of discouragement, fatigue, fear, despair. But we are not called to raise the the gates and to sequester ourselves from society that has never been God's intent for us. We are salt and light sent out into the world, sent out into society to bless the world and to make it better. We cannot give up. No matter what happens on earth, until Christ comes again, we are to work for the flourishing of others. This is why we are here. We do this as members of society. In one of his sermons, Martin Luther King writes about how it is midnight in our world. And the darkness is so deep that we hardly can see which way to turn. He then goes on to encourage us to live as children of light. Urging us, saying that our task is to bring light into the dark chambers of pessimism. For our eternal message of hope is that dawn will come. Friends, we are to be people of hope. There is always room for hope. We share in Christ's ministry. We too are in the gospel and grace business. Those loved and set free are now commissioned to represent the kingdom of God at work in the world and to proclaim grace and peace to others and to serve. And when we do, when we feed the hungry, when we stand up for the voiceless and move toward the poor and the suffering, when we follow Jesus out into society, we carry this message that Christ is our King 
And today, this very day, the kingdom of God is at hand. Glory be to God. Amen. Pray with me. Oh, holy God, we bow before you, needing your grace and new beginnings. God, would you help us to live out our calling in the places where you have us, and would you help us to persevere as bearers of light and love? Send us from this place, focused and hope-filled. God, give us grace to live your gospel. We pray this for ourselves and for each other in the name of Jesus. Amen.